Hey everybody, it's Mark Thompson and this is the Chief Executive Podcast. My privilege in life is traveling the world to meet the most extraordinary chief executives and the future CEOs who will guide and define what it means to be an employee, an organization, and a world leader in the years to come. One of the people that inspires me the most is Mamatha at Stellantis. She's had the opportunity to lead a revolution in internal technology in a company, Stellantis, get this. Here's an organization that designs, develops, manufactures, and sells some of the most amazing logos in the world. 16 brands from Alfa Romeo, Chrysler, Citron, Dodge, Fiat, Jeep, Maserati, Opel, Peugeot, Ram, and many more. She's been the one who's been bringing a level of digital information technology, bringing your home to the car and bringing new levels of safety never before seen. And I'd say a sense of luxury and community that mobility can bring in people's homes and lives. Listen to how Mamatha talks about being a woman who's led in executive roles in technology and throughout a changing industry. Here's Mamatha. Thank you so much for being with us today, Mamatha. Thank you so much, Mark. I'm so uh, so thrilled to ask you how it is that you would be if you were thinking about how to advise a, a person who's coming into the role that you have, who's been working for many decades now over a career, thinking about the progress that you've made as an executive, as an executive woman. You've always been charted as one of the, the great leaders uh, in your profession. If you were maybe even giving advice to a younger version of yourself or an entry-level version of yourself, do you have thoughts about where you'd help people think about their career as they're taking their first steps towards the C-suite? I think um, if you look at the past and some of the roles that I have taken, there was a playbook um, that uh, others have uh, been very successful at that I was able to draw lessons from various role models and put together my own playbook and say, this is what is me. So I didn't define my success by looking at someone else's success. I always said, what is it that I want where I can make the maximum difference that's aligned to my strengths? So that is uh, a powerful amount of kind of self-awareness and self-efficacy um, to kind of know what you want and know what you're good at. How did you come about that process of, of maybe learning about what you had to offer? And, and then you've always been stretching the boundaries of that as well. I think the first thing is I like playing on the edge. That's fundamentally part of my personality. Mm. I, like, uh, I like the more ambiguous uh, the responsibility is, uh, the more um, I am excited about it. That's, that's fundamentally, if, if someone has not tried it, um, I really want to do it. <laughs> okay. So, so, did you... <laughs> so the first role that I took at Chrysler Corporation in 1996, I was a programmer. And they said, why don't you write a small program to automate incentives that we get from the federal government and the state government for government affairs? I said, but what does government affairs do? You're giving me a spec and you're asking me to write a program, but I want to understand the business. 
Mm-hmm. So the first thing I would say that helped me uh, understand my own strengths is to start understanding and having a deep empathy for the business and a deep empathy for the customer and what is it that they want. So it's easy to dive into something when you found a passion and what you've just shared is a very powerful way not to get sucked in so deep that it's entirely about us, but uh, about the people that we're trying to serve. Did you have a time in your life when you came to that conclusion? Because you probably discovered early on you were good at a certain number of things. Uh, Did you get a wake up call or did you always feel like you wanted to collaborate with uh, having an output or a purpose to this great power you had as a programmer, for example? It's not the first question that most programmers ask. (laughs) I think I always was looking for, um, if I'm asked to do something, what is the biggest difference that I can make with Mm. what I'm asked to do? So the easiest thing would have been for me to take that spec and convert that into a program and deliver that system to them and would definitely have delivered the results. But what I did in 1996 was I automated all of the processes of government affairs and created a paperless office for them in 1996 (laughs) using the technologies that were available then reduced like, you know, turnaround time from like almost a year to three weeks in processing political check, you know, the checks and the contributions that we received from our employees. So it's, it's like um, asking yourselves, this is the lesson that I have learned that I teach everyone is first, whatever you're working on, don't go after, if someone says do A, go do A. Question why am I doing A and why not B? Or why mm. not A through Z? That's, that's a bold way of thinking about your superpower that, that's made you very inspiring and very successful in many points of your career. I would have guessed that, especially in earlier parts of your career, but probably also today, there's considerable pushback and conservatism and a sense of risk that uh, one of the things that we always see as leaders is that success doesn't always inspire innovation or experimentation or expansion of scope uh, because we've been working so hard to get where we are. Uh, you had to recruit peers now, people over which you didn't have power to, in a sense, make the space or be uh, at least co-conspirators, if not collaborators in, in your more expansive thinking. How did, how did you how do you win support? And maybe you could share with us an opportunity that, that you had in the past to do that. I think yeah, part of this playbook that I have generated over the years is you need to have this both top-down and bottom-up. Uh, top-down support from definitely the CEO and the leaders that they believe that this is, um, this is definitely a, a differentiator for the company. Mm. So you need to create a burning platform for the CEO to get them really uh, saying, wow, this is going to deliver tremendous results for our company. But it's a lot of risk. And innovation is a game of dice. You're not going to get a perfect six with every experiment that you do. And I had to coach the CEOs that I worked with and influence them that there are many innovations that will fail, 
but there could be one innovation that's successful that uh, becomes a unicorn. And if that is your first innovation and that's become successful and the CEOs are right behind this. But if it's the first innovation and that results in a failure, how can you make the failure um, have um, not like a, a significant impact and re in resetting the organization? So that's why this agile methodology of trying with a, a minimum viable product, including understanding the customer, the go-to-market strategy helps really test. So testing is a big part of that experimentation mm. to understand if we would get the right results. But mm -hmm. even after testing and experimenting, when you introduce it into the market, you could, you could fail. And so having that risk appetite and in a uh, business like ours in automotive, we plan for, you know, we plan for risk management. And so I now see. this is a completely different kind of planning. And not doing this level of planning itself is a huge risk for companies and CEOs <laughs> are getting behind it because it could result in a Kodak moment and no one wants to go through that Kodak moment. So that's more of a top-down way of working with the CEOs. But a bottom-up way that I have worked, Mark, that resulted in exceptional results is engaging the employees that are on the front line of our business and asking them for what disruptive ideas that they have. And can they pitch those ideas? And can we, you know, as an internal venture capital arm, can we invest in their ideas and bring these ideas to market? So you're creating a grassroots level engagement in addition to the top down. And that grassroots and the top down will change even the middle layer. Typically the layer that we call the opaque layer or the clay layer, which is focused on what am I going to deliver today and not looking at what's coming up tomorrow. So you're now putting this pressure and the middle layer has to change. <laughs> Interesting. We have, uh, we have introduced products in the automotive industry unheard of products within three months. For example, when you get into a car, Mark, how many times have you opened the owner's manual and said, let me first get familiar with all of the features of the car? <laughs> and never. Uh, never. Uh, I, I think precisely after decades of driving, I've never done that except out of desperation <laughs> to fix something. <laughs> yeah. So and then you're how many times you have thought, oh, well, I've been to. I have really used 100% of the features that my car offers. <laughs> no, I'm trying to avoid using all the features. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so we introduced an employee idea was to come up with an augmented reality app where you point a uh, camera, your mobile app, uh, you know, smartphone camera at a feature, and it gives you all of the details of the feature. Mm, and then wow. on top of it, it sends you a daily nudge and saying, Mark, I see that you took your Jeep off-road. But when you uh, took your Jeep off-road, I see that you could have used many of the controls that are available in the Jeep. And I saw that you did not use. Do you want me to show you a video of how you want to use that feature or remind you next time you're in your Jeep on playing this video for you? Wow, you're, you're, that's that's... 
that's having that smart friend. Um, that's Mr. That sister who wrote, uh, who wrote or read the manual (laughs) to kind of help you actually use the features. Exactly. And And it came from the people that came from the people on the front line is what you're saying. Exactly. And in three months, we introduced it in our RAM uh, TRX, which is a high performance truck that we introduced last year. So within mm-hmm. six months, we brought it to market. That's incredible. And now and within a year, we are taking it across all of our brands because that is the global scale that Stellantis has. I see. You've got this experimental method that I'm hearing is really the gold standard now when people think about innovation, because the innovator's dilemma always is, as you say, the risk that you take of messing what's working, uh, messing that up in the process of trying to do better, and then trying to embrace the fact that most experiments and tests don't work actually out. So you've taken this thing out because it sounds like you are on a cadence of constantly testing and falling forward with these ideas that are coming from the market. And uh, not getting maybe not falling in love with them or not attaching too much ego to any of them, except that it's a, it's an attempt to serve and sell better. Exactly. Exactly. Create more stickiness for our customers and also say that you're buying a product. Let us help you get the maximum value out of this product for you, which mm. is the second most expensive uh, asset after a home that you buy. That's used only 3% of the time. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. When, when you think about the way you manage and lead, um, you've told us a little bit about how to manage upward by showing perhaps the opportunity and the risk of not taking risks. What else did you, have you learned about uh, managing in the C-suite um, as people take that first role? And your roles have gone from uh, being the, an, uh, a specific expert to one now who throughout your career, you, you've been the, the executives taken on more and more and more responsibilities. How, how do you manage across the, your peers? Um, how do I manage across the peers? In some cases, it is more of a one-on-one conversations with the peers to make them comfortable with the disruption and with the change. And a bit of education, bit of awareness, showing them showing them how to fish, then fishing for them and bringing results to them all the time. Um, so that's really, that's uh, played a very important role, becoming their confidant. Because mm-hmm. you have this digital disruption uh, DNA as part of your leadership. Now you need to get everyone else on board and comfortable with this disruption and how mm. to change and how do you provide tools in their toolbox that will help them explore more. I would imagine you'd have a, a, once having created the safety to experiment and the, in a sense, the idea flow that's coming from horizontally from the bottom and and down from the top, how do you make the choices uh, as a leader? with the embarrassment of riches that you must have uh, created in this, in this sense uh, as a leader to still make people feel like their contribution is valued and encouraged, even if it's not per, uh, preferred or ends up maybe not even pursued or, or doesn't even become an experiment. How do, how do, you, cal- how do you keep people really wanting to, to be encouraged to give you that generosity? Yeah. 
I, I think uh, you know you need to also influence the leaders by saying today's business is born out of linear thinking, especially in the automotive industry. It's a continuous improvement cycle that throughout the last hundred years that has brought to this level of quality, this level of safety, these level of features. Mm. But uh, it's almost like Marshall Goldsmith would say, what got you here will not get you there, right? So it is this linear thinking that has got us to this stage in the automotive industry, fantastic. Mm -hmm. But to go from here to the next level, it's exponential thinking. And so there is some help from outside coming from the likes of our competition like Tesla. So there's a lot of help and pressure coming from outside with Lucid, Rivian, and looking at their market valuation. Yes. You know, and then how even the investor community is rewarding risk-taking. Yes. And so I think that is also helping this um, pressure from outside is also helping the leaders saying, yeah, we need to change. But that doesn't mean that the 100 years of uh, continuous improvement culture goes away. Mm. That helps us. Uh, if you look at uh, Stellantis, the results that we uh, produced last year is just tremendous because we have this mindset of complexity reduction that we have generated over the last 100 years that's mm. helped even in the new technology um, that we feel like would help us exponentially uh, deliver results. And if you, uh, there are many of my colleagues from other competitive uh, companies that have told me every day we discuss how is Talantis able to generate these results and also focus on the new trends because we are tapping into the strengths that we have of complexity reduction. We have 14 brands, so we cannot create 14 technology variants. Mm, I see. So we have, we have just one technology that can be configured based on whether it's a Fiat 500 or a Maserati. I see, right. So building so modular, configurable platforms. That's a mindset change because we started with having a vehicle platform that would go with a Jeep Renegade, a Jeep Compass, Jeep Cherokee, and Wagoneer. Grand. We had a vehicle platform, but we said, no, we'll have only four vehicle platforms. Mm. We'll have three technology platforms. And so reducing the variation and but at the same time introducing that with software, we can configure and personalize the vehicles for the customers because that's their expectation coming from the smartphone world. So I mm -hmm. think helping the leadership think and providing the tools and also with this external pressure, how Tesla is thinking, how Lucid mm -hmm. and Rivian are thinking and how our investors are thinking. And then when we did our capital markets day, I had to work with the brands and the entire leadership and bring them together and say, what is it that we would say to the world that is not, um, you know, they replace Stellantis with Tesla and it becomes Tesla strategy. Right. But this right. is a differentiator for Stellantis. So yeah, what makes you... the, yeah, software organization, we said our competitive differentiation is our 14 brands. People, mm -hmm. there is only one Jeep in this world. 
Mm-hmm. There's only one Maserati in this world. So our brands and the software should augment um, and should also help create more stickiness with our customers because I'm getting you contextual help when you are driving your Jeep off-road by having an interior camera look at your Jeep and say, by the way, Mark, you forgot uh, water on this long off-road trip that you're taking. <laughs> or you're going to a racetrack, Mark, but you have not um, tuned your horsepower for track performance, for optimal track performance. So getting it to that contextual level, it generates revenue for us because I'm saying, okay, Mark, I'll, you know, I'll offer you this feature. It would be $5. And now you go $5 times the 34 million connected vehicles that we have in the market. And you say, okay, I may not get 100%, even if I get a 20% take rate per month. So it's adding value on top of the product you have, but not taking a heated seat and saying, well, you already have a heated seat, Mark. Let me now make this heated seat a software on and off. Now you pay me $5 to turn your heated seat on. (laughs) That really irritates you as a customer. Right. It has to be the right... It, you need to really be very sensitive, as you're saying, to the creating value for the customer. And this feels like a, uh, something that metaphorically, as software being contextual and serving, in a sense, mass customization, allows every individual to feel a part, uh, every consumer to be a part of each of these brands based on a, a, on a platform, one central platform. Draw that metaphor for me into leadership development. It is a a role of coaching that I've heard you describe many times now, as you've been talking about how you are managing upward, managing downward, and working with your peers, being an an influencer and a coach uh, for them. How do you think about the coaching process? And and, uh, how would you like to have your team think about coaching their peers and cascading that, that ethos, that coaching culture, that getting better together culture that you often talk about? I think the first is to think about the art of possible and what can happen in in terms of the value that we can deliver, the brand can deliver to the customer. What is the art of the possible? So going, for example, to the Dodge brand head and saying, with software, we can help tune the horsepower to another, you know, Uh, 20 horsepower that we can add or 50 horsepower or 100 that we can add. And then the brand would say, well, that's a great feature that we can add. And to tell him that, okay, we can do it when we know the geo position of the car and make it contextual, understanding that they're going towards a racetrack. So when you, you have to make it into tangible value for the customer and tangible value for the brand head. And then they get on board and say, well, let's experiment with it. Let's see how many customers take it. Mm-hmm. Right. And then when you, have, when you have a high conversion rate and then customers are taking it, and then the brand says, well, let's make it as a scalable feature that we launch across all, all regions. And then yeah. um, and the Jeep, uh, a head of brand would say, well, you offered this, what can I do? So you start showing some shiny pennies and you have like a leadership team that's typically all type A and everyone wants to uh, best the other person. 
or better the other person. Then you say, they will ask you, what is it that I can do for G? What more value can I add that is contextual for my customers? And they start bringing in some customer uh, examples. And the other way we have done it, or I have done it is understanding and doing analytics of the calls that come into our call center mm -hmm. from our customers, the real stories of customers where they're sharing their pains and yes. also sharing some of the successes. We launched a stolen vehicle alert system in Brazil, in South America. And there was a call that came to our call center that was played um, at our uh, staff meeting. That's another thing. We, that, something that I have influenced all the way up until our C CEO level, that we start all of our meetings with a customer story. A good one and a bad one. Not that we solution it, but try to understand why the good happened and why the bad, why the bad happened. So just understand so that the people who get visibility to both the good and bad automatically start working because the visibility has raised with the visibility to customer experiences have increased. So every, including my team meeting, we start with a good customer story and a bad customer story. And we go across the world, not just talk about North America or Europe, but we go across the world. And listening to these customer stories and I always tell uh, our uh, leadership team, imagine there is an empty chair and that the customer is sitting in that chair and we are making this decision and how would they feel? That so is that's a powerful image. Exactly, exactly. Um, I think that also gets us more from this technology centricity and I want to introduce this feature and that feature to... Yeah. Now I am biased towards acting on what's the most value added for our customer. In some cases, they could be explicitly saying, in some cases, we understand the pain. So going back to the stolen vehicle tracking, there was someone that called, literally our entire leadership team was in tears, listening to how they spent their entire savings in buying a Jeep and it was stolen the very next day. And, but we were able to track that vehicle and deliver it back to them using the stolen vehicle tracking feature. And they called us, we called them actually to say that we track your vehicle, here's your vehicle, we're on our way to delivering it back to you. And the, the person was in tears saying that, you don't know what this means to me. Mm. Mm -hmm. And now we are scaling that stolen vehicle tracking across all of our vehicles. Yes, right. So this, these kind of powerful customer examples, in addition to the pressure from the investor, the pressure from the competition, and our own examples help us create the most differentiation for us as Talantis, in addition to our own DNA of the strengths that we have built over the years with complexity reduction, with our global scale. And that's why we have a very powerful purpose for our company powered by our diversity. Uh, we lead the way the world moves. We want to make sustainable, affordable mobility for all. Well, you're an inspiration for all of this uh, process. The, the customer often is the last person at the table, not the first. 
Uh, and you put her in the driver's seat, metaphorically and literally, um, and, and brought her to every interaction because it's great to argue with each other. It's great to compete with each other, perhaps, but it's even more meaningful for us to be able to compete to serve that driver and, and, and serve the persons there. I'd love to end by asking you a question about what do you wish you knew when you, you were entering this job that you know today an insight that you found along the way that uh, what do you wish you knew that you know today that you didn't know when you first stepped into this role? I think over the years that I have learned so much about the automotive industry and have also have um, passion for uh, Formula One racing, I wish my younger self knew as much as I know now. And um, when I look back, um, I, I only wish that the difference would have been even more impactful and even more tremendous with all of the knowledge. And how could I, as a mentor, help others starting in their career with all of this knowledge so that they can accelerate um, so their positive impact that they would have in our industry? Well, you're having a huge impact and uh, you're inspiring others to, to really take this lesson for me today about going deep uh, and then playing the long game based on serving those customers and understanding the business. So getting that context in place. Thank you so much for, for your time today. And we're, we're delighted to have you share with the chief executive community. And I look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you so much. Thanks, Mark. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Chief Executive Podcast. I'm Mark Thompson, and please don't forget to like and subscribe for more episodes every week.